It is such a joy to be with you guys. I want to say thanks to you this morning from all the missionaries that are here. We just really appreciate uh, all that you do for us. Your prayers, your love, your care, your support. We feel like we're a part of the family here. We are an extension of you in the world. And we love being able to go out and share the hope of Christ with those who are so desperately needed and to train up leaders in these countries. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I'm only 41 though, okay? I started early. I've known Pastor Steve for a long time. I love him. He's my dear friend. And we uh, love serving Jesus together. And uh, about a year ago, I resigned from my church in Yuma of 23 years and uh, passed the baton to a new set of leaders, and they're now leading the church. And God called me to train pastors and church leaders around the world with Global Training Network. What a hoot. I am having a great time, man. God has just taken us on a whole new adventure, and he's got one for you. I really believe that. So don't always be open to what God has for you. The second thing I want to thank you for is this, your prayers for Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, uh, as you all know, is going through some very difficult waters right now. Uh, last uh, week, uh, Steve told me he prayed for, you guys all prayed for them. I have been associated with Sri Lanka for nine years. I've been training there, mentoring in a church there. I've been training pastors and church leaders for the last two years with global training. The church there is, is struggling. I got an email this morning. They said that we're not meeting in buildings. We are meeting in homes. And we are trusting God to fire the church. And um, one of the emails said, you know, Pastor, please come. My wife and I are scheduled to be there in June. And we'll be doing training for three weeks. And they said, please come. God's got our back. We're going to be okay. And I said, you're right. We're going to be okay. And so pray that I'll be able to go and my wife and I will be able to instill hope and encouragement into the church in Sri Lanka. Amen? You know, uh, missions is all about dispensing hope. That's what it's about. It's about dispensing hope. Whether we are abroad on foreign lands or we are here in this country, in, in Goodyear, Arizona, it is about dispensing hope. And when you go out and you become a vessel in the life of someone else to breathe hope into their world, you are a missionary. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is that we are the substance of things hoped for. We are the evidence of what is not seen when we step out in faith and be servants in the hands of God. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. The reality is, is God wants you and I to be the living, breathing heart of his heart. And that's what he desires of us. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do is nudge the hope meter forward in the heart of someone around us. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. One uh, leading psychologist said it this way. He said, in marriage counseling, I just try and get a 10% improvement. He said, if I can just get a 10% improvement, when couples get 10% improvement, they get, they get hope. And when someone gets hope, anything is possible. Amen? Ray Johnston said it this way. He said, hope is the highest octane fuel in the universe. The highest octane fuel in the universe. You know, you and I have been given a source of hope. 
And that hope is living in us. We celebrated that last week. We celebrate it every Sunday. We celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Amen? That's what God wants. We serve a risen Savior, a living Savior, a Savior that ignites our lives into a new hope. That hope is not to be kept selfishly. It is to be passed on. It is to be embraced by other people. It is to be something we breathe as God's children. That's what God desires for us. But we're living in a world right now that is struggling with hope. In the last four weeks, we've seen four people die at Grand Canyon. I'm going to be honest. I don't think all those were accidents. I think there were some suicides there. There was one at Yosemite Park also. The reality is people are desperate. Suicide rate in America today is higher than ever before. Depression is at all-time highs. People are struggling with hope. They are fearful. They are afraid. If you listen to parents, if you listen to uh, anybody in in ministry, you're going to find there is this paranoia and this fear that permeates and causes us to want to control every part of our life. We can't do that. But what they do need, they're looking for hope. They're looking for something that is real. They're looking for something that is lasting. They're looking for something that has integrity and transparency. They're looking for something that is sure. They're looking for something that is available. But here's the problem. They perceive real hope as impossible to have. That's the struggle. And you know, I want to tell you a story from John chapter 9. A young man who found himself born into this world in a a state that he couldn't control. He came into this world and his parents were excited about him. He was a little baby. They're all excited. They're thrilled. They're jazzed that he's in their world and they're excited. They're goo-gooing with him. But all of a sudden, a few weeks in, they realize this little boy can't see. And in the culture in which they lived, not being able to see was a death nail in reality. Because the the truth was that not only was there a philosophy in the culture that if you uh, had some kind of deformity or you couldn't see or you had some kind of an illness or whatever, that somebody sinned. Either you sinned or your parents sinned. Either somebody messed up. And so the parents, as they they begin to realize what's going on, they, they try to hide it initially, but the family and people around them and their neighbors, they can't do it. And all of a sudden the family goes, oh man, what, what's wrong? And parents start hearing the whispers, the whispers of, of what did you do wrong? What did you do? Did you, did you worship an evil God? Did, you, did, did, did he sin in the womb? That's what they thought. There was just craziness that surrounded this. So as, this, as you can imagine, this young man begins to grow up. And he hears these whispers. And he begins to start drawing conclusions about himself. Kind of like we do. We hear people talking about us. We hear people talking around us. We hear people talking through us. And the reality is we start drawing conclusions about who we are. Well, this young man did the same thing. He started drawing conclusions about who he was. And pretty soon, his heart was beginning to fill with shame. His heart was beginning to fill with frustration. His heart was beginning to fill with fear. And after a while, he got to the point where he just said, man, what is wrong with me, God? God, why am I this way? God, why have you done this? What is wrong with me? Why me? Why not someone else? I hear all these people talking about seeing. I hear all these people talking about this and that. I don't know any of it. Why am I so different? 
That's the cry of every human heart. And what the struggle came is that when he, to try and make life work, to try and make life make sense, he etched out an existence in front of the temple, sitting in front of the temple gate begging. Why? Because he couldn't be productive. He was under judgment and condemnation. He was categorized in his life. And people just kind of put him in this hole. And so as Jesus walks with the disciples out of the temple in John 9, Jesus walks out with the disciples and he had just had a big discussion with the, with, uh, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, uh, he argued with them and told them who he was, that he's the great I am. And the disciples, they were watching all this and they were pretty excited. They were like, oh man, this is cool. We're hanging out with Jesus, you know? This is great. We're, we're right there with Jesus. And so they, they come out to the temple, and, but there's something that happens. And this is the thing. Missions is about dispensing hope. And the heart of Jesus is that he sees every person. Amen? If you read John 9.1, you'll find that Jesus saw the blind man. The disciples didn't. Jesus did. See, that's, that's the sad part. If you and I are going to dispense hope in the lives of people, we've got to see them. We are so wrapped up into our iPods and our phones and, and into our, our chats that we're not seeing people. We're seeing past them. We're seeing through them, but we're not seeing them. And because of it, we are missing incredible opportunity to dispense hope and to be the heart of Jesus in the lives of people around us. God wants us to be dispensers of hope. These disciples, they categorized that man. They didn't see him. They categorized him, and they wanted a theological argument. They want to go, hey, who sinned, Jesus? I mean, you're God. We just, you just did that. So tell me, who sinned? Was it he or his parents? And Jesus, Jesus just kind of brushed it. And he said, this is for the glory of God. And he stepped one step farther, and he said, look, man. He goes, I am the light of the world. And he is the one who said, I'm going to dispense hope in this man's heart. I'm going to be the dispenser of hope. The second thing is that missions is dispensing hope is the answer for every person. Jesus not only saw the man, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He revealed himself. I am the great I am. We live in a world who desperately needs the the source of hope, Jesus Christ. And that source of hope is going to come through you and I. That source of hope is going to come through us. And so, um, as as he dispensed that hope, he, he knelt down, he, he, he sat down, and he did something that in all of missions that we do, we meet a physical need for a spiritual purpose. Amen? We meet a physical need. So what did he do? I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't just stand back and go, be healed, you know? Didn't use his deity, didn't use his power. What did he do? He stepped back, spit on the ground, made some mud, put it on his eyes. And he said, go to the pool of Sloan. And so the man still couldn't go there by himself, so somebody led him. And when he led him there, they led him to the pool. And can you imagine with me for a moment? Here's a man whose life was wrapped with no hope. Here's a man whose life was wrapped that yesterday would be the same as tomorrow. Here's a man's life who, who thought nothing's ever going to change, and he's been doing this for somewhere between 15 years. 
He was caught in a rut. And Jesus changed his life in a moment. And he walks to that pool. And he kneels down. And for the very first time, he touches the water that he's always touched before. But for the very first time, he puts that water on his eyes. And that mud begins to fall off. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, he sees his hand. For the very first time, he sees the reflection of his face. For the very first time, he watches the water and sees that water drop. And all of a sudden, there's something that begins to ignite in his soul. My world is different. My world is being changed. And he gets up. He sees the sky is blue. He sees the birds he's been hearing. And all of a sudden, he jumps and he shouts. And for the very first time, he takes off running and he runs home dispensing hope. Jesus started him on a journey. A journey of hope that would eventually bring him to the ultimate hope. See, you got to remember something. He couldn't even see the glory of God physically. The Bible says that, that we, the heavens declare the glory of God. He couldn't see it. But now he can not only see the glory of God, now he wants to know who that is. And the reality is, is that Jesus eventually takes him, and as he says, he's the light of the world, but then he takes him in John 9, 35, and Jesus sought him out. Jesus looked him out and said, after he'd gone through a series of faith-building events, Jesus sought him out, and he says, do you believe the Son of Man? And he says, I don't know who he is. Remember, he still hadn't seen him. Remember, he didn't know who he was. But dispensing hope starts with the physical and goes to the spiritual. See, folks, every one of us are born spiritually blind. Amen? We have no reference point. Every one of us don't understand where we've come from. And the people you and I meet every day, these people are spiritually blind and they need someone to dispense hope. And Jesus, not only did He give Him hope in life, but He gave Him hope spiritually for eternity. And Jesus revealed himself to him. And the man fell down and said, Lord, I believe. I believe. See, the third thing is that Jesus saw, Jesus said, but then also Jesus sent. He sent you and I to dispense hope. Dispensing hope is the health of the church and it is the hope of the world. Someone in Matthew chapter 5 The text talks about being salt and light. It talks about the fact that Jesus told the disciples and He told you and I that we are to be salt and light in the world. I have a question for you. How many of you in here salt your food before you ever taste it? The rest of you are liars. Amen? Think about it. We salt the food. I do it. We salt the food for everywhere we touch it. You know what? Salt changes the presentation of the food. You and I change the presentation of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are salt. And my challenge to you is to be salt. My challenge to you is to be light this morning. You say, well, how can I be light? One practical way. See people. See people in such a way that when you meet them, when you talk to them, that the first thing you do is maybe in the conversation, instead of trying to share Christ, instead of trying to uh, do a whole bunch of other things that we tout spiritually, 
So why don't you just look at them and say, how you doing? Is there something I can pray with you about today? You know, people just want to hear their name before Jesus. Some people have never heard their name lifted up before God. One of the simplest ways that you can be light in the world is simply to pray for anyone. And you'll be amazed at how God will use you. You know why? Because you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need. Because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. So let Him shine. Let Him show. Let them see in you the One who may, may never know. Because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life some will ever read. So let them see in you the One in whom is all they'll ever need. Because you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. Desert Springs, let's be dispensers of the grace of God's hope. Amen?